Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. It is Epiphany Sunday, and so we are going to look at the text from St. Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 2, which deals with the event of Epiphany, which is the visitation of the Magi, or the Magians. And before I read that, though, I want to read two footnotes. And I'm reading from a translation, um, it's David Bentley Hart's translation of the New Testament. It's a very literal translation from the Greek, and he keeps it very weird, the way Matthew wrote it. And so we're going to read it the way it was written, uh, we're going to, as much as we can. But I want to show you actually a footnote first, two footnotes. Um, there's going to be an A and a B, just to read what's in there. So instead of translating the, the, the Magi as kings or wise men, he's keeping the word that they're actually called. They're Magians. Magians were men of the Zoroastrian priestly caste of the Persians and the Medes. Think of Iraq and Iran. Largely associated in the Hellenistic mind, the Greek mind, with onoromancy and astrology. Um, looking at the stars and consulting kings and merchants and those kind of things. But actually, very smart, powerful people, but they really looked at the stars. It is a word that never means wise or learned men. They were just astrologers, really, really fancy astrologers. Iranian astrologers who went across the world to find Jesus. Okay, the next word. Obeisance. It's a, very, it's a very precise word in the New Testament, Matthew. Obeisance means to bow down before, fall down before, fall down in adoration. It's the classic Eastern gesture of abasement before a superior. So when these men saw Jesus, they abased themselves with obeisance. They fell down because they knew this was God. These astrologers, they got the gospel. That's Matthew's point. So, now I'll read to you Matthew chapter 2. Oh, and as I read this to you, you know, I was thinking about, sometimes when you think of scripture reading, you think of like James Earl Jones or maybe Max McLean. You know, you think of like these great voices or, um, or whoever you think of. But when you read Matthew, I want you to think of a really beautiful, tough, wise, West Texas mammal. Mamma is very sparse in her words. And it's what she doesn't say is as important as much as what she does say. So as I read this, I want you to think of like the wisest, you know, El Paso or even for Amarillo, West Texas Mamma, as they read this. Because what they don't say is as important as what they say. Now Jesus, having been born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days where in Herod was king, look. Magians arrived in Jerusalem from the eastern parts, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Judeans? For we saw his star at its rising and came to make obeisance to him. And hearing this, King Herod was perturbed, and so was all of Jerusalem along with him. And having assembled all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the anointed, that is the Christ, is to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, quote, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the elders of Judah, for from you will come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, summoning the Magians, ascertained from them the exact time of the star's appearance, and sending them to Bethlehem, said, Go and inquire very precisely after the child. And when you find him, send word to me that I too may come and make my obeisance to him. And obeying the king, they departed. And look, the star, which they saw at its rising, preceded them until it came to the place where the child was and stood still above it. And seeing the star, they were exultantly joyful. And entering the house, they saw the child with his mother and falling down, they made obeisance to him. And opening their treasure caskets, they proffered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, however, they departed for their own country by another path. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the intentions of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Well, I hope you all had a, a good Christmas and New Year's, and good to see you. Thanks for coming this morning. I know this time of year is filled with hope and a little bit of dread, like it's starting the treadmill again. We have to orient ourselves. And so part of what I want to do this morning is remind you of why we wear these stoles, this color. Anyone who leads in worship, man or woman, boy or girl, wears a stole. It's always a certain color. So I want to show you a, a picture up here. Um, this is the Christian year. And the Christian year does not begin in January. The Christian year actually begins in December. So what do we mean by Christian year? It means that when Jesus is born is when we start. We orient our lives around the life of Jesus. And calendars are a way of uniting people or dividing people. You know that, right? But if we have a... So if you, you, know, like, if you went to Portugal at Thanksgiving, good luck finding a turkey, okay? They could care less about the fourth Thursday of of November, because they don't celebrate that there, because that's what we do here, that's us, that's our holiday, that's our holiday, but the Christian calendar, wherever people live, in many denominations, they orient their, their schedule around the, the year of Jesus, so at Advent, we wear purple, you see that, the Christian year begins, Christmas, we wear either gold or white, on the day of Epiphany, and time after, is the beginning of ordinary time, that's green, what we have on here. And then after Epiphany, we have Ash Wednesday, which is 40 days minus Sundays before Easter. The Lenten season, the springtime, where we prepare for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Then we have Holy Week. And during Holy Week, we wear red. And then we, wear, we have Easter on Easter Sunday. And then we have Easter tied all the way to the day of Pentecost, which is red. And that's the day that the Holy Spirit comes. And then we have ordinary time all the way up to Advent. And then we start over again. Does that make sense? So, of course, we follow our own calendars. We go to school in our own. You can't say, well, you know. But I just want you to know, why do we do that? Because it unites us with Christians all over the world, that we're participating with them. We're, not, we're recognizing them as part of our family. Because calendars is a way of dividing us. You know, it's, it's interesting. Well, sometimes they can help unite us. I think about, well, like at least in Texas, 
We've adopted two other holidays. We've adopted Cinco de Mayo because, well, it's chips and beer, um, but it's not our holiday. We've, we've adopted Cinco de Mayo, and then we've also adopted St. Patrick's Day if you, live, if you go by Greenville Avenue anytime in East. Why? Because, well, we're not Irish, but again, same thing. It's like, you know, green beer and, and green chips. And so, but, so we've, we've kind of adopted these calendars, but usually calendars divide us. And so the point of the Christian calendar is to show how we're united. Now, what's the calendar look like according to our time? If we also put the months, you can kind of, so Scott, if you put the next one up. Do you all see that there? And notice um, where it's white or gold can be either white or gold. This one shows white. So when you see white, it can be white or gold. We have a choice. Like, you know, away jerseys, home jerseys. It doesn't really matter. White or gold is for that. But it starts really around December with Advent and then Christmas and Epiphany and then Ordinary Time in February and March and then Lent. And then it says the Paschal Tridium. That's the three days of the Paschal Lamb. That's Good Friday, Holy Saturday, then Easter Sunday. Then we have Easter, then we have Red Pentecost, and then that big swath of ordinary time, which is between Pentecost and Advent, and then we start over again, because we kind of orient our lives around the life of Jesus. Okay, I just wanted to remind you all of that, and that's why we wear these. Usually, in a lot of denominations, these stoles are reserved only for ordained people. And we at St. Jude believe in the priesthood of all believers. So whoever is leading, whether they're a boy or girl, ordained or not, they get to wear a stole. So it may sound interesting, but if you go to other traditions, like anyone can wear the cassock and like the, the robe, but only like a certain group get to wear these. And at St. Jude, like, no, we believe in the priesthood of all Christians. So whoever's serving gets to wear these. That's why we do this. So it may sound like if someone came from an Anglican they would say, like, wow, that seven-year-old wore a stole. Is that guy ordained? Or they just read, no, but, he's a, but he can represent. But all of us, see, it's a way we can represent. So we're trying to participate, but also find ways and being careful of how people kick people out. Okay, uh, if you can put up the next picture, Scotty. Here's a picture, if you could look at it kind of closely. This is an old fresco or an icon of the three Magians. So you'll see there in the, the, in the trough, even though Jesus was probably three. You see our Lord Jesus. You see that's Joseph there to the upper left and Mary with her head bowed towards Jesus. And then you see the three men, the Magians, coming and making obeisance to him. And because they come from the Far East, it's very likely that some of them were from either African descent, could be as far away as Morocco or or Egypt, or they could be um, from Iraq or Iran. And you'll see above them, you can kind of see that star. You all see that? And the star is flashing. They're, they're paying attention that God is visiting them and that they know that God's radiating God's goodness. And they're responding to the goodness of God, not by trying to bribe God, but saying, we love you. We know who you are. And when they see the mother and the child, they're not like, they just know. This is where the West Texas grandma comes in. It's so sparse, isn't it? Why do we call them wise men in the first place? Well, because we like the bumper sticker, I guess, right? Wise men still seek him. You've seen it, right? They still seek him. Or why do we call them kings? Was it from the Christmas hymn, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we've traveled so far? Maybe. I really think our translations use wise men or kings to soften their vocation. 
They're astrologers. They read the stars. They get paid to read the stars and consult. And they're such examples of faithfulness to Jesus. They're such examples of faithfulness to Jesus, we have to soften their profession to make them more like us. That's what we're doing. That's why I like this translation. That's why I like, oh, mamma, what's a Magian? Well, honey, that's an astrologer. Well, why? Well, let me keep reading. See how sparse it is? Matthew, does just, they're just Magians. Well, what are they doing? They see the grace of God in the sky. They're experiencing the grace of God, and they're saying, we're going to find him. And they go. And they have a lot of power in their home countries, you know. They're insiders. But as soon as they cross the state line or the border, or whatever it is, as soon as they get in Israel, they're not insiders anymore. They're outsiders. They got no power. They're just three guys with a lot of money looking for someone that has nothing to worship this person. Wow. They're examples of faithfulness. Well, Mama, why is that in there? Because maybe God draws a lot of outsiders to himself, and we shouldn't judge them. That's the point. But it's so uncomfortable for us, our translations have to soften their vocation to make them more like us. They're not like us. They saw the grace of God in the sky. It wasn't in a book. It wasn't through a preacher. It was incarnate like Jesus. Whoa. Wow, Memo, that's interesting. Yes, it is. Look. They're Magians. Oh. Okay. See what Mamma's doing? Look. Well, honey, what? Just look. They get to Herod. Herod says, ooh, I think I want to worship this guy too. When you see him, well, where, where, where can we find him? They basically said, we don't have your holy books. What does your holy book say? So then Herod got the men who got the holy book out, which is, of course, the Hebrew scriptures. And they read from the prophet Micah that from Bethlehem, Judea, is going to be born a king. And so they consulted the holy book, which is the scripture. This is where the king's going to be born. And then Herod, who's part Jewish and part non-Jewish, but very threatened by this baby, said, uh, when you find him, let me know, and I'll, I'll worship him too. And then Mamma says, look again, look. They saw the radiance of God. Now, she doesn't de- Matthew doesn't describe the radiance. Matthew's very different than Luke. Luke is like James Earl Jones. You have the, and the, uh, the, the shepherds were so afraid, and the glory of God stood around them, and the glory to God. Oh, very theatrical, and all the sounds, and poosh. And Mamma just says, look. She... Matthew, Mamma, is basically saying, look at the Magians at their vocation. They believed in the gospel. And look what they saw, but you're not going to see it. They knew that, that the grace of God was made visible to them. The grace of God is made visible and was accessed by them far away from the church and far away from Jerusalem. The gospel is a universal and public fact. It's good news for all. 
It's good news. And it can't be contained or controlled by us. It could be preached by us and taught by us. We can't control it. Isn't that what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He went to Nicodemus and said, you must be born from above. He said, how can I do that? How can I be born in my mom's second time? He says, well, whoever is born of the Spirit is born of the Spirit. And you can see it's rustling in the trees. But the Spirit blows where the Spirit chooses to blow. The Spirit is the very Spirit of God, the radiance of God, the gospel of God, the goodness of God. The gospel of God is just God. The grace of God is just God. When we say we're saved by grace, we're really saying we're saved by God. It's just God. We can't separate God's grace from God. It's, from, it's, his, it's his mercy and forgiveness that gives us life. And these Magians, they knew that was the grace of God. So first thing to think about. The gospel is good news, but it radiates in such a way that we can't control it. And it's a public fact. And sometimes people access that gospel that are so outside of our vocations and we don't look. Mamaw, Matthew says, honey, look. In their heart, they were ready to make obeisance to him. And when they found him, they were outsiders. And they weren't bribing him. They were worshiping him, making obeisance to him. I thought about, so Jesus had a bunch of gold and frankincense and myrrh as a baby. I wonder what he did with it. You ever wonder that? I think his mom and dad did what Jesus would have done. They probably just helped other people with it. That's kind of what he did, isn't it? Gave stuff away. I think that's what Jesus did. How can we help others, Pop? How can we help others, Mom? Well, we can do that. We're going to live up in the nowhere town of, you know, up in, up in Nazareth anyway. And, well, we'll just help people with it. The first thing I see here is just the beautiful truth that the gospel is bigger than us. And it can't be contained. And it's public. And I think we just have to be careful and listen to what God is teaching us. Look, many people from way outside of what we would consider our group, and I even have trouble with that language, they see and they have access to Jesus. And Matthew's saying, look at them. I think a second thing that hits me here too is... Um, this kind of outsider, insider language. Jesus was an outsider. Mary was an outsider. She was pregnant before she was married. That's being an outsider. Her fiancé stayed with her and they got married afterwards. That's kind of doing something on the outside. And they went to go pay taxes. They looked for a place to stay and no one would let them in. So he was born on the outside. And then the first people that saw him were shepherds and they were kind of the high school dropouts. Remember that in Luke's gospel? They were outsiders. And they're the first people that believed in the good news. And the second people that believed the good news at his birth, well, they were really outsiders. They're magians. Well, what is God teaching us? Maybe this outsider, insider language is not very helpful. 
Well, this right here, the first people that believed in Jesus. Shepherds. Aegeans. And where was Jesus when they found him? He was on the outside anyway. It's so interesting, isn't it, that, that when God came physically, he resided outside the realm of normal religious space. He was literally present outside a non-religious space, we would call it. And even the Gospel of Matthew is kind of structured this way, that Jesus, who was on the outside when he grew up, he always went to people that were kind of on the outside, didn't he? He said, you're my friends. I love you. I like being with you. You're my people. Because he's on the outside. He loves the people on the inside too, but he, he doesn't like this language of insiders and outsiders. And I find it so beautiful that the first worship comes from outsiders to a God who loves his own, but is also very comfortable on the outside. We say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday because it says, we believe, we believe, we believe. It talks about how we participate with others. But are you aware that most of our creeds, since the Apostles' Creed, is really about how we're different than other Christians? I can say that because I was raised Roman Catholic and then Presbyterian and more like Scotch Presbyterian than Southern Presbyterian, then became Southern Presbyterian later. And then I married a Baptist girl, but then I also had a stint of being charismatic in college, and I actually got baptized Church of Christ. I don't know if you guys ever told you that. It didn't, it didn't stick very long for maybe like three days. I know. I was at the love chair at University of North Texas, and the, I got baptized, and I realized, oh, I thought that water saved me, and I had to go to Brother Perry and say, Perry, that water didn't save me. Jesus did. He goes, well, I don't know about that. And I said, I do know about that. So, I've been everywhere, man. I've been Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic. I've been it all. So, and I read all the documents. I read all the documents. And it's funny how what, what our statements say outside the creeds, like the Presbyterian Creed, which I'm, I love, the Westminster Confession of Faith, basically says, we're not Baptist. We're covenantal. That's why we don't rebaptize people. Now, in Texas, Baptists and Presbyterians get along, but that's very, very unusual, because historically they do not. The Anabaptist movement was very much against, it means baptized again, was against the Presbyterians. And so when I hear Baptists say, oh, we're Reformed, I'm thinking, no, you're not. You're Baptist. Because if you're Reformed, you would have been immersed with water over your head and let your babies be immersed with water over their head too, because the Holy Spirit applies to us. We don't apply ourselves to the Holy Spirit, Okay. That's how it works. And, that's, and you think, well, Mark, well, that's, that's our creed. So what is, what is the, what's the confession of the, the Presbyterian Church too? Well, we're with them, but we're really not with them. We're on the inside. And they're on the outside. Lutheran creed, same thing. Well, we agree with the Baptists, but they're, we don't believe that Jesus is just present, we believe he's consubstantially present in the Eucharist and we're not Presbyterian. And then Presbyterians and Anglicans agree together, we're not Baptist and we like to read. We're a little snooty. 
I know it sounds terrible, but that's what we talk about. We talk it that way. So Presbyterians and Anglicans get against the Baptists. And then Presbyterians and Anglicans and Baptists get together saying, but we're not charismatic. Oh, amen to that. We're not. So it's the not. It's the deliciousness of, of saying, God is with us. And I am not with that person. And I like it. And Matthew and Luke blow that out of the water from the very beginning. All these outsiders getting in. What creed? It's no creed, it's a person. They're worshiping him. Do you all see it? They're bowing down before him. This cuts into the denominational stuff a little bit. And as much as I love the denominational stuff, I think what it feeds... It feeds, um, I think, the original sin that's original to to all of us, which is, God is with me, and I'm not with that person, and I like it. What Mamaw's doing, what St. Matthew's doing, saying, you can't say that, honey. You can't say, God is with me, and I'm not with that person, and I like it, because God is with that person that you think you don't like. It's called a shepherd. It's called a Magian. And he's called Jesus. And he's very comfortable with them. I just find it so odious that whenever we have a statement of saying who we're against, it's so easy. I grew up in the Bay Area in Northern California and spent a lot of years there. And I'm still a Giants fan, although I'm becoming a Ranger fan. I know, I'm being indoctrinated. But my favorite bumper sticker, and Mike, you've seen this, you're from there, was that I love the San Francisco Giants and underneath, and anyone that beats the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> because we love saying, I'm not with them, and I like it. Why is that so delicious? Why do we feel better by being people being on the outside? Yeah, I, I contemplated as a young man. I can still remember, I was 22, and I was thinking about the sovereignty of God and Jesus. Like, Jesus, what if you saved a really bunch of people, like most people, and what if all of them, if they saw your face, actually repented? I remember thinking, I don't know if it's worth it then. And I thought to myself, why does that make me sad that Jesus would save a lot of people? And I realized, I guess I just like people not being with me. What's wrong with me? God have mercy on us. That is so addictive. That is our, that's the universal addiction. God is with me, and I'm not with that person, and I like it. I'm not Baptist, I'm not Catholic, I like it. And here Jesus blows all that out of the water, and he hasn't even said a word yet. He's just here. He's just, he, he just got on the scene. And he's exposing all this stuff. Isn't that beautiful? He's exposing all of our, these silly divisions. He's radiating his grace, and we can't stop it. Now, we try to control it with our words and our confessions and whatever you want to call them, catechisms, but it can't stop this. It can't stop it. I think the best thing to do is just get on board with it and be mindful how easy it is to avoid epiphany. 
Because when we use the word epiphany, you know what we think of? We think of something on the inside like, oh, I had a great idea. I had an epiphany. We think of in the mind. That's not what Mamaw says. That's not what St. Matthew says. Mamaw say, honey, this, this is not in their mind. This is, this is in the stars, baby. This is in the stars. It's in the stable. It's way outside their mind. This epiphany is outside. And once this epiphany is outside, you can't stop it. You can't mind control it. You can't just think it. You can participate with it if you like. But it's not on the inside. It's big and on the outside. Isn't that something? The grace of God is big and on the outside. And we try to control it with our catechisms. I remember being told by several members of my presbytery, Mark, you have an exception, but that position you hold is outside the bounds. Like, well, thank you. I'm still inside somehow, even though I skirted on the outside, because we try to control this kind of stuff. And I think the Gospels begin like, you can't control this. You can't control God. God is going places. And I find it really beautiful that God, even though he loves being present when we worship him like, like the Magians did. He's very comfortable on the outside because to him there's no outside or inside. It's just his world. The Apostle Paul says all things were made through him and for him. There's no inside and outside of through him and for him when it comes to Jesus. It's all his stuff. It's all people that he loves. Those categories of stuff that we throw up because it, well, God is with me and I am not with them and I like it. And I think epiphany is God's way of saying, please, like me more than liking your divisions. Love me more than liking the fact that someone is not with you. Then you'll begin to see them the way I do. We even prayed a song this morning. Christ be in my eyes that I might see your image on those I think outside. We just sang that. Isn't that beautiful? That's epiphany. Oh, God is so big. Let's be attentive this year. How God's grace radiates. And let's follow it. And let's participate in it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be, on, be in all of our eyes that we may behold your image on those that we would think outside. Amen.